0: You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Boston Strongcast. I'm going to do a, uh, a solo episode today. So we've had a lot of guests on recently and i think um it's a good opportunity for me to catch everybody up on stuff i've been doing in the gym and stuff that i'm starting to kind of transition more towards i guess Um, so this was something i never really thought that a lot of people would find interesting because the reason i was doing all of this was to make pps better and so I always felt the need to share what we were doing as a group with PPS. But how I came about with like the heuristics we use in our programming and stuff, a lot of it has to do with my experimentation when I'm in the gym training myself. So for about the last year um, and really hard in the last six months, I've taken primarily singles. My volume has been extremely low. So leading up to my meet in January, I just struggled to do reps in the equipment. I just, for some reason, had a hard time doing it. And even though everybody was like, oh, you should do doubles and triples and everything else in the gear, it's just, I felt I was so out of position after the first rep that I just, I felt having more singles practice uh, was gonna be better for me. And then I might do like a set or two of like doubles or triples with a little bit less equipment on after the fact going into my meat. Um, but it was very, very rare that I was doing more than a single rep, especially for my top sets. So I go into the meat. Um, I was actually kind of concerned that like my conditioning wouldn't hold up where I was doing one lift a day. Um, I was training four days a week at that time and when I was deadlifting, I was squatting before it at least. So I was doing some stuff, so. Um, but the squats were pretty light and I was kind of worried about how my conditioning would hold up for a competition, especially my first competition in gear, which it's definitely more fatiguing being in the gear. Like, you warm up, I'm running to put all my stuff on, getting my stuff on, finishing up my warm-ups. Like, everything just seems to move a lot faster in the equipment just because you got to get your knees wrapped, like all of those things. Uh, you basically just start doing stuff a few people out instead of just waiting till you know, you're on deck or whatever. So, I go through that competition, and I had... I've never felt better going into, I missed my third deadlift, it fell out of my hands, but I've never felt better going into a third deadlift in a meet time I've ever competed. I went eight for nine in my first equipped meet, which is usually very unheard of. My technique looked really good. So, kind of, you know, some of the stuff that brought into question for me was at that time, like after my meet, it's like I didn't do a lot of reps, but I did a lot of singles and my technique improved vastly going into the competition. Um, So one of the questions that I had was, you know, how many reps are actually necessary to increase technical efficiency in a lift? You know, coming with the Shaco background, you know, I have these his heuristics that have always, like, formulated the foundation of that thought process for me. Um, But it, it made me think. So, you know, coming off of the meet, I was just doing some raw stuff, just trying to think about, like, where I wanted to take my training and everything. And then the COVID stuff hit. So the logistics changed with my accessibility to a gym um, and kind of my accessibility to just equipment in general. Um, I was fortunate enough that, you know, for a couple of months I was in, um, I was training with Mike and Lindsay and Lindsay's family's garage and we had a decent setup. We had like two racks in there. We had enough plates. Um, You know, the floor was uneven. We made our own platform. It was a lot of fun. It was some of the most fun I've had training in a long, long time. Um, But because of the limited availability of stuff, and with the logistics and everything, one of the things that I started to think about was, what if I just do singles? You know, like, I had a conversation with Dr. Lonecki a couple years ago, and like... Deep down inside of me, I honestly believe that whoever can do more singles in training, if all of the things are kept equal, they're going to come out of it stronger at the other end. Um, Just for the specificity aspect of it, and I don't necessarily think that we need comp lifts. I think the specificity in the movement is, I think people overreach for that. I think if I'm putting the bar up an inch on my back and widening my feet two or three inches, the transference of it is about the same. Um, but it just makes me pay attention in different ways. So it keeps training fresh. It works on a larger skill set within the lifts themselves. Um, and it also targets different areas and stuff. So you're, you're literally hitting different muscle groups and everything uh, because the joint angles are changing. And you'll notice, too, like when people change those joint angles and stuff, the differences in acceleration and positions and all of those things, like um, really tell the coach a lot about strengths and weaknesses. Um, but I've talked a lot about that. So in my head, I was like, you know, I firmly believe that this is true, but how can we do more singles? So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking do singles and I'm going to see what happens. So hardcore for the last six months, all I've done is singles. I've done the occasional like back down sets. Um, And the other reason I was doing the back down sets is maybe I want to feel something else out. Um... Because sometimes things go wrong on the max effort, and it's like, oh, all right, I think I know what happened there. Let me feel this out a little bit, and you just kind of feel it out, make a mental note, and you move on. But I never did more than, you know, two or three sets of back downs, and it was very, very rare that I would do back downs. So my overall volume in my training program was extremely low. I never did back downs with um, with deadlifts. I would do some like raw bench back down sometimes on bench. And some raw squat stuff sometimes on squats but very 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 minimal i was doing each lift only one time per week i would do the occasional bench before deadlift sometimes as i was waiting for the deadlift platform to be free um, but even that was pretty rare as you know maybe 25 percent of the time i was benching before i was deadlifting because i really wanted to see so like when you think of it in terms of like volumes and how much of volume and intensity and stuff to have in a program it's always just because this person said so like the, we don't have a real reason or a real number to use so like for me like i was just saying like having shako as a coach his heuristics kind of make up the foundation of my heuristics in terms of like number of lifts and average intensities and all that stuff to improve technical efficiency but I don't know why that is, I just do it because that's what he said to do and I had decent success doing it that that way. But I think it's really important for me to understand why or how much volume is truly necessary to get better. So in the last six months, I made sure my volume was as low as humanly possible. I've done zero bodybuilding type accessories. It was basically just hit a single and get out for the most part. Um, I would do the occasional like reverse hypers and stuff. Like as I felt stuff was getting cranky, I'd I'd make sure I was giving it just you know some attention and stuff, um, and just adjusting the max effort lifts I was using in those singles to accommodate joint angles that would just put more stress on those areas that were starting to bug me so you know if my back was bothering me a little bit maybe i'd move use a little bit higher of a box squat i'd use accommodating resistance places i would just deload where the highest demands would be on my lower back Um, but i would still get hard singles um, good top end weights stuff like that so one of the things that I think was one of the most important things that I learned through this process is one, my technique got better even with the lower volume stuff. So there's something about the specifics of heavy singles, um, in terms of fixing technical efficiency. But what people need to understand is for years, I did a high volume submaximal program. So I have a lot of experience underneath me in terms of repetitions. And I, I don't think this is something that we can ignore when we, talk about my success in my technique getting better i do think my background plays a role in that or even if it doesn't it's something that needs needs to be taken into consideration because i do think it's an important variable but my technique got a lot better i hit an all-time squat pr and a safety squat bar box squat uh with less equipment so my best geared squat so straps up knee wraps on was 515 pounds with just suit bottoms in a larger suit than I competed in I hit 517 pounds with a safety squat bar just bottoms to a box so I would imagine with a tighter suit straps up knee wraps on I'm probably crushing what, I, what my previous best was um, I took last week straight weight oversized suit bottoms only 150-pound fan tension, I took 425 in straight weight, so that's 575 at the top. I'm probably, you know, if I had to guess, I'm probably somewhere in that ballpark in mid to high 500s right now. Uh, Full-equipped squat. You know, feeling it out, obviously, in the equipment the first time, but, like, if I had to go to a competition, narrowing it down, uh, that's something that I would assume would be on the board and it's not like that 517 wasn't hard i mean that safety squat bar pitched me forward and was really hard so how much that technique breakdown is gonna affect my top end strength uh with the straight bar and stuff and the larger load in those positions you know that that's going to be a deterrent a determining factor of how much i'm going to lift there too and that's something that obviously i'd have to address in training just to kind of get a feel for see where i'm at and figure it out so like these are just best guesses My deadlift, which has always been like, all over the place, I I hit a 615 pound deadlift and then I hadn't hit 600 pounds again until a couple months ago. Like, it took almost a year to hit another 600 pound deadlift, which was crazy to think about. And I smoked that 615. Um, There's probably another 10, 15 pounds there. So the fact that it took me a year to hit 600 again and I hit it at the time that I was just taking singles, I found that very interesting. Um, the lack of stability within my deadlift numbers. But since I've been taking singles, my deadlift has been much more stable. So I'm hitting around, if I'm doing something with straight weight, I'm hitting around that 600 very frequently. So last week I took a one inch deficit. after. So the first time I've done squats before deadlifts, and I'm going to get into why I'm doing that, I hit 585 pounds from a deficit. So that's five pounds under my best meat deadlift. Um, So just the consistency in my deadlift and just knowing when... One of the things that I did change was making sure that I wasn't, like, grinding out reps. That 585 was the first grindy deadlift I've done in a long time. I got into this habit of, like you know, it hits below your knees and you're shaking to lock it out. And I just learned that you can't really recover from that as well with the deadlift as you can, maybe some of the other lifts. And power lifters have been saying forever that the deadlift is more taxing. And there's probably something to that anyway. So I've made sure that my singles on the deadlift have been very hard, um, but no shaking type of thing. So like really good strain, hitting some good consistent numbers. Um, and like I said, you know, I'm taking between 585 and 600 pounds pretty consistently. And when I feel I'm a little bit banged up, I use accommodating resistance to decrease the load in the those tougher angles, but to overload the top. So the week before, um, so when I had hit that squat PR, I took a deadlift that was uh, 495 at the bottom with 200 pounds of band tension. So I'm decreasing those tough angles, taking a little bit off of me, but it's almost 700 pounds at the top, so I'm getting really good strain. Once those bands kicked on, like, it was some good strain on that deadlift, but no shaking, and that was that's always been my plan. Um, so I'm still hitting some good overloaded weight at the top, good strain, all of those things. And I've just kind of learned that, like, for recovery, I have this theory that recovery is not necessarily... I think absolute load matters but i think it's more than just absolute load i think absolute load at specific joint angles is what matters most so there's positions in each lift where we have decreased leverage and i think the loads at those angles are what's really taxing within the lifts so what gave me this idea was researching what Westside barbell culver city did back in the 50s and 60s is they realized they could get a second squat day in if they used a high box and they lifted heavy all the time so they were able to recover from heavy squats twice a week if one of the days decreased the range of motion so it'd be on a high box they'd overload it with a shitload of weight so absolute load in that case didn't matter there but it did if they used a full range of motion so i began to utilize some of this in my training so if i did a low box squat wave Um, With squats, I raised up the deadlift a little bit, so the low box squat would come with less weight, obviously um, On the squats, but the deadlifts would be overloaded and it's just not taxing those tougher angles um, Quite as much like from the floor You know, I know below the knees it's most taxing on like the hips and the low back and stuff, but there's just something about being able to position yourself in a much better position coming from blocks or I used reverse bands a couple of times too. Just deloading those bottom positions of the deadlift just made it far less taxing. I think if I had done deficit deadlifts with a low box, there's going to be a cost associated with it in terms of absolute load and also in terms of um, recovery. So I've just started to utilize... um, accommodating resistance to decrease loads, get good strain, good top end, um weight. And I understand that tension and straight weight, they're completely they're different, but at at some point weight just becomes weight. And you're still straining against that weight. And I think that's the important part in terms of specificity. Um So I had learned, I think that was the biggest lesson that I had learned is like from a recovery cost standpoint, it may be more about joint angles, absolute load at joint angles than it is about absolute load or taking singles or any, or the strain itself or any of that stuff. Um, But with that said, I do think the other things aren't nothing and they do means something so if you're you know for me if i was shaking all the time on a deadlift you can't do that often and i learned that the hard way and maybe for squats and bench maybe i you know bench i can definitely do that a little bit more squats i think i can do a more i think i can do a more than deadlifts but i think there's a um there's a cost associated with that as well so now that i that i feel i've come up with some really good heuristics in terms of what we do for heavy singles and i discuss these heuristics on my patreon channel which is you know shameless plug here patreon.com slash precision power i list out those heuristics and i kind of explain them and i give examples of how it works and stuff um so it allowed me to come up with those heuristics, to understand how singles work, to understand like some of the changes I had to make if psychologically I, I felt crushed, if physically I felt crushed. Like I just, I learned how to navigate those murky waters and I think I got really good at being able to understand that and it made me a better coach in delivering a a program to lifters where we're maxing out three times a week. Uh, On some weeks, three times a week, the deadlift does alternate. And just understanding when it's important to pull back from max effort for them and not. So I didn't wanna just make PPS do, oh, we're gonna do nothing but singles because this worked for me. Like you can't forget about all of what every coach says that their volume matters but how much, right? And Dr. Lonecki had said something to me in the podcast that I had done with him. And he's like, you know, you could argue that more work is better, but at what point does more stop being better, right? That like, I think the search for optimal is bullshit because I think there's just way too many variables to try to come up with optimal. But for me, it's now going to be a matter of answering the question of how much volume is necessary and does it truly make things better? Um, So the fact that I was able to just cycle through singles in my deadlift and, you know, I was trying a new bench shirt and the singles, my bench has just been all over the place lately. I've been inconsistent in the shirt and there's some technique things that I think I need to address there. But even last week I brought in my super katana. I've got it down lower than I've ever got it before. Maybe, you know, once it's settled into the knee wraps, maybe, an inch and a half above a touch with 385 pounds, which would be a five pound all time PR. So that's even starting to get better. So my lifts have gotten better from just doing singles. So now the question is, will bringing in volume add to the, add to the singles or will it take away or, you know, I need to figure out, at this point how much volume i think is is important because like i said before i basically just base it off of somebody else's heuristics and i think i don't think there's a coach listening to this podcast or a lifter lifting listening to this podcast that doesn't just plan sets and rep schemes because somebody told them to like determining what the bigger factor is for that number, I don't think anybody's actually like put it to the test, they might have with their lifters but there's still a starting point you're starting from, so my starting point was I know what it feels like to go through nothing but singles in a training program and see the success that that brings, and of course I would still say it's short to medium term and I think it would be, you know, I had a conversation with Louis Simmons and I told him about it and he's like well I did singles for 12 years and then I broke my back you know so it's not like I'm the first person to try this, right? And other people have spoke of the importance of overall work within a program, so there's got to be something to it, right? And I can't let my short-to-medium-term success doing nothing but singles cloud my judgment. And I also need to just, you know, maybe I decide to go back to singles, and maybe there's a period of time where I just do singles, and then I add in more volume work and whatever. But first I need to understand how the volume mixes with the singles, Um and determine its importance in a training program and for me to understand how much is truly necessary or at least have an idea of, it'll educate me on on the idea of and maybe develop some heuristics in terms of how much volume is necessary, how heavy that intensity needs to be, the sets and reps and all of that stuff. So I'm starting to add in some volume but I'm making it really light in the beginning. So last week was the first week that I added in some volume. So I've been training three days a week, doing each lift one day a week, just doing singles for, I mean, quite some time now. I've been doing three days a week of training um, since the very beginning of March, so six months. Uh, So I decided to add in Mondays to be my day one and to make it lighter bench work. Uh, So last week I started nine by three, I used 85 kilos on the bench, which is about 55% of my best bench. And I did nine by three, 45 seconds rest, three grips. So just like straight up, straight weight, speed work. Um, straight weight's very hard to do speed work with because it just doesn't necessarily, you know, because you get this pop and coast that comes with it without accommodating resistance. you know. Dr. Hatfield talked about compensatory acceleration training but it's hard when the velocity has to reach zero at the top so like once you're like halfway through the repetition it almost stops accelerating if you're just using straight weight Um, but that's all I had access to on Mondays I didn't have access to accommodating resistance so I was like fuck it we'll just do the straight weight but the amount of force that you can put behind the bar with that type of straight weight is immense and it made my pecs so freaking sore I mean, I did some neck presses after it. So just like building some volume. Um, But I was sore, really sore Tuesday, really sore Wednesday. And Wednesday is my bench day. But that's when I got in the shirt. So the shirt alleviates some of the pressure, makes it a little bit different. And I was able to get one of my best touches. So I'd been really concentrating on my technique in the shirt. I couldn't get into the Super Katana for three weeks uh, just because I had limited help, limited access. So I was using the F6 and just really focusing on getting a good touch. I did like five singles at 315 the first week. Then I used bands. I touched, I think, 295 plus like I forget how much, 60 to 70 pounds in band tension, maybe. It was it was, it turned out to be 355 at the top, so it was 60 pounds of band tension. But I had a good touch, good strong bench there. Got in the Super Katana, folded up some knee wraps, got within an inch and a half, two inches of a touch, and I took 385 for a good hard single. Um, but the touch was much, much better, my technique looked much better, so it was getting better. But you know maybe the light stuff let me groove stuff a little bit it's gonna be hard to tell from just one week so I was really sore from doing the bench stuff on uh, day one and I noticed that like my conditioning was pretty crap too my breathing was heavy Um, and the thing is so I haven't had a lot of variability in my training in terms of volumes and intensities and stuff So, when you look around nature, like, nature just requires variability everywhere. And lack of variability creates fragility. So, you know, I think one of the best examples I heard, I think logically, whether this is true or not, who knows. um, But we eat the same foods, the same number of calories each day, right? Three meals a day, X amount of calories per meal for total calories. And you just get a rise of diabetes, right? That probably some feast and some famine are probably... Um, Would have some positive results on health. It's probably why you see certain people do some type of fasting protocols and they scream for the positive health outcomes that they see. But they do it long term and those positive health outcomes become negative health outcomes. So there's probably some variability that's just necessary in all forms of life. So the fact that I haven't had much variability, it just shows that. I'm pretty fragile outside of what I'm used to. So the fact that I did, even though the weights were 55% for triples, and granted they were done quickly and I was breathing heavy, but I didn't necessarily feel like my muscles were tired by the end at all. I got really sore just because I wasn't prepared to handle that level of work. From a work capacity standpoint, that's pretty pathetic. That a nine by three of 55% on a bench press just completely crushed me, and I did a uh, three by ten neck presses with 133 pounds afterwards. So you know, like 30 to 35% or something, um, and some band pull-aparts, like nothing crazy, because I was making sure that I was easing into it, but it crushed me. So then I did my squat day, as I typically do. I did a three by three raw 225 so it was about 50% a little more than 50% bar weight of what I had hit for a max effort for a 3x3 three three, kept the same 150 in bands uh, so it made it so it was 225 so it was about 375 at the top it was about 85% um, at the top which is kind of what like Louis Simmons was saying if you can get so his argument against just doing one single was if you could get 25 singles with 500 pounds of force behind it Compared to just one single at 500 pounds of force, you're going to be better off, right? Say 500 was my best squat. So I wanted nine reps afterwards with max force just into it, right? Just to increase that workload a little bit. Then I did my bench. I just did my shirted bench. And then I just did some bodybuilding stuff because I was crushed on Wednesday. Um, Just really sore from, you know, some back down squats that I added to it. Um... I haven't used band tension like that in a while, so maybe that added to it. The bench, so like my work load was increasing quite a bit. So I just did the shirted bench work and I did some like face pulls, some tricep press downs, just like higher rep, bodybuilding stuff, not a ton of it, uh, just to kind of keep moving around and just prepare myself for increased workloads later on. And I took a day off and then on Friday, I used the safety squat bar Uh, 245 pounds and I use straight weight for this just kind of for the same reason, just like easing into it. I did an eight by three, 60 seconds rest with 245 pounds. You're talking 50% um, of around my best raw squat. I mean, I haven't tested a raw squat in a long time, but this is just a guess. And actually like, I felt some good pop out of the hole. I felt pretty good going through it. The breathing was a little bit labored. Uh, So I caught my breath, did some deadlifts, hit that 585 off a deficit, and here we are. So Saturday, Sunday, here we are on Monday when I'm recording this. My hamstrings are still screaming from that increase in workload. After the deadlifts, I didn't do anything. I did some, uh, like, bodyweight back extensions. Oh, no, I did uh, very light three to four sets of reverse hypers. I think sets of 10, maybe like 50 pounds on there, like good pause at the top. So like, I think of it as like a tick, tick, tick for each rep. So time under tension was pretty high, but still three to four sets of 10. That's all I did. And I could barely get out of bed the next day. I was so sore. Sunday was pretty freaking bad. Today's a little better, but my hamstrings are still freaking screaming from it. So like, it just shows my inability to handle an increase in workload. Um, And now when I think back to my meet in January, I was really sore the day after that meet. So it made me think about like my day on Friday with the squats and then the heavy deadlift. Like it didn't affect my deadlift performance that day at all, but my recovery was just garbage Um, after that. And I was really sore after my competition. So I think there's probably some parallels that can be drawn there. It's just I wasn't ready to handle the amount of work I was doing in one given day. So there's probably something to it. And another thing that Louis said to me, and he's like, You know, nobody's probably asked you this question. Or you've probably never even thought about it, but what did you deadlift the first time? And I told him 430 pounds. And then he goes, well, how did you deadlift 430 pounds? And I was like, fair point, he's like, GPP. So there's probably something to it, right? Like getting stronger, doing different things. And I think just from like a staleness point, a work capacity, you know, when I think about like my ability to handle all of those singles, I played soccer through college. I then did the MMA stuff for over 10 years. I then did Chico stuff for over three years. I've always had higher volume programs that I've, I've been doing until I did the single. So when you look at the Russian system, one of their things is like they have schools where you would go to if you wanna kinda major in powerlifting. So these kids are starting between 8 and 10 years old getting PVC pipes in their hand but doing GPP work. They're all forced to do gymnastics. They play other sports. They do basic like kettlebell swings and box jumps and your typical GPP stuff you do in the gym. And over the course of years, that GPP stuff gets decreased and barbell stuff gets increased. And then by the time they got to Shaco, where they're getting his style of training, they have over 10 years of being in the sport. So there's something to that. Buildup of GPP, and Hartman's always been a, a big on me on the GPP stuff and its importance and stuff. And you can see it in his lifters. They start with the GPP stuff at earlier ages, and then they're fucking monsters by the time they're juniors, that 20 to 23 year old age group, and even a little bit before. So, but they just have a lot of GPP, and a, they build a big base. And he made me watch um, a documentary on demis and it just showed like he had this huge base by the time he did the singles with the Greek weightlifting team. Um, So I think there's just a lot of... a lot of good anecdote that that GPP stuff is important for a base. But my question then becomes after we build that base, how important is it really to keep in? And how much of that... That bodybuilding stuff in powerlifting, how much of it is actual dogma, right? Because so, Bill West, um, Pat Casey, they were all bodybuilders before they got into powerlifting because powerlifting didn't exist back then, so they all had this bodybuilding background and took the bodybuilding stuff into powerlifting that's just existed ever since for no reason other than that's just kind of what it was like at the time so what i'm trying to do now is just try to figure out how much of that stuff is actually important to the success of powerlifting. whether it's building a base whether it's you know maybe three months out of the year we just always come back to it um you know, there's just, and there's just, you just think of how many bodybuilders came over to powerlifting and had enormous success, including world championships. Um, I think some of that stuff can't be, you can't look the other way at it too. So just trying to understand where it all fits in is kind of where my head is at now. And that's kind of what I'm starting to do currently with my own training is just add some of this stuff in and just get a feel for it and see how it, and just see how it goes. And you know, in the next month two months whatever I'll do another one of these where I kind of update this process Um, but that's kind of where I am for now is just trying to answer some questions for myself instead of relying on dogma and what other people said and other people's heuristics and just kind of uh, using the gym as my lab being open-minded and figuring shit out Uh, because you know I feel as a coach it's really important for me in order to guide a group of lifters to be the best lifters that they can i need answers to these questions and i can't rely on other people to do it um, you can follow along with this process my personal page is kwk and our team is precision powerlifting systems stay strong boston